On Tuesday, September 26th, Common Sense Institute hosted its quarterly Eggs and the Economy event. This edition featured discussion about Proposition HH, the Taxpayer Dilemma. It featured a presentation by Dr. Stephen Byers and a panel discussion with participants Douglas County Assessor Toby Damish, Brenda Bouch-Deconer from Ready, Colorado, and Lang Sias, CSI's 2023 Mike A. Laprino Free Enterprise Fellow. The conversation was moderated by CSI Colorado Executive Director Kelly Caulfield. And now, please enjoy this edition of Eggs in the Economy. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Kelly Caulfield, and I'm the Executive Director of the Common Sense Institute. Thank you. I love this crowd. I think there's no better crowd in the Denver area this early in the morning. Thank you guys for coming out and being a part of this. Here's some social media handles. Please tweet out. Please share what you're learning today. We're all better for the information that will be shared today. And please promote it widely. Maybe take a quick picture of this so that you can tweet out when we have our panel in a little while. So for those who don't know, the Common Sense Institute is a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization dedicated to the protection and the promotion of the Colorado economy. We aim to be at the forefront of free enterprise and we aim to focus on the issues that matter most to Coloradans. And we do that by convening you all. We do these quarterly meetings. Uh, I've seen a lot of you here before. I see some new faces too, which we just love. Please tell a friend next time, let's keep growing the team of common sense here. So Eggs in the Economy, these are our quarterly meetings where we bring together some of the top experts from state and local level, as well as our policy fellows to learn about the state's most pressing issues. And as you can see by the invitation, we're gonna be talking about housing, competitiveness, and Proposition HH today. But I first wanna take a moment to show who's at the helm, who is leading our ship. It's our board of directors. Um, if you're a member of CSI's board of directors, could you please stand so we can recognize you? I'd also, I know there's a few of you, if there's any elected officials, could you also please stand up so we could recognize you? Great, thank you so much for being here. We know there's a lot of other places you could be. We are thrilled you're with us. I also wanna take a moment to thank our generous sponsor in Amazon. We appreciate Brittany Morris-Saunders so much for being here with her presence, with her talents. And just wanted to say a few factoids about Amazon. I continue to be blown away. I am a huge fan. Amazon has invested over $11 billion, billion with a B, in Colorado, including in infrastructure and in compensation. They employ so many people. This includes dozens of fulfillment centers and distribution facilities all down 25. We're talking Colorado Springs all the way up to Loveland. And Amazon has actually created more jobs than any other company in the last decade. So thank you, Amazon, for your support. These are our policy fellows. We are always so excited to announce a new fellow, it feels, at almost every eggs in the economy. At our last event, we announced our first healthcare fellow ever, Dr. Reggie Washington, who may be here today. And today, this team grows to an 
even larger group. Um, John Farnham is un unavailable today, but I did want you all to know that he joined over the summer as Common Sense's first ever child welfare fellow. John, many of you all probably know in our community, has been in a leadership role with the Mortgage Family Foundation for over 12 years and has a real passion for foster care and for youth in vulnerable situations. His first report will be out later this year where we will quantify the economic benefits to Colorado if we helped more foster youth earn a post-secondary credential and succeed in the Colorado workforce. I also want a lot of other announcements. Another announcement is a growing staff. And thank goodness, we are thrilled that Common Sense just um, announced a new hire. He is our director, director of policy and research. He's in the back. I wanted him to wave his hand. This is DJ. So welcome to Team Common Sense. DJ has a tremendous career. He's worked for policy think tanks in the past. Um, in journalism, and most recently was with Fox 31 Denver as their investigative data reporter, focusing on many of the issues that Common Sense has tackled as well, housing, homelessness, crime, and migration. So please give us a round of applause for DJ for joining our team. Another announcement, the Free Enterprise Summit. Please mark your calendars. Please take a picture of the QR code on your tables. Write it on your hand, whatever it takes. Join us December 12th. We're getting you early, so no excuses. December 12th, mark your calendar. It is over lunch. We will celebrate these four award winners for free enterprise. Some of them are here with us today. Buzz Coble as our free enterprise trailblazer, Tyrone Adams with the Colorado Association of Realtors, as well as two policymakers, one on the Democratic side and one on the Republican side, will be honoring former mayor of Colorado Springs, John Southers, as well as State Senator Rachel Zenzinger on the Democratic side. So we hope that you'll be able to join us. We will also have for those who joined us last year, Arthur Brooks was our keynote speaker. This year, we're going to have Guy Benson, a well-known political commentator and media personality. He's on the roster of the top 25 millennial broadcasters, so he has a younger perspective, very interesting to listen to, and we'll be talking a lot about the importance of transparency and free enterprise here in Colorado. And a final announcement as I continue to talk about exciting updates for Common Sense. In the next few months, we are going to be so excited to share Kristen Strom and Cinnamon Watson. They've been on the road, guys, and we're opening up two more Common Sense offices, and that update will be here soon. So get ready for that as well. Many things are happening here um, at Common Sense Institute. But now, back to Colorado. For those who attended um, our last Eggs in the Economy session, we had a very popular presentation by the senior economist, Dr. Byers. He is going to talk to you about something that's a little bit different for our Free Enterprise Summit. As those who attended last year may remember, we unveiled our Free Enterprise Report where we assessed the competitiveness of Colorado in comparison to other states. But this year will be different. We're going to be unveiling a competitiveness index. We don't need to solely rely on national groups like CNBC, US News, World and Report to rank, you know, they often will rank the states in terms of business climate. 
these groups can be out of touch with what matters most to us here in Colorado. So we've designed a tool, I should say Dr. Byers has designed a tool with a lot of the fellows input, including Lang Sias, who we'll hear from shortly. He's developed a tool here in Colorado for Colorado to assess our competitiveness and how we're doing in terms of free enterprise. So for another edition of our very popular scramble, you don't need to take it from me, I'd like to invite Dr. Byers up to the podium to give you a little preview of what's on the menu for this competitiveness index. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, good morning. My name is Stephen Byers, and uh, thank you all. How do I get this up? Perfect. Um, you know, when we were putting together this program uh, last week, I was talking with Kelly and Cinnamon, and we were organizing who's going to talk and present what. <clears throat> and I said, well, this free enterprise uh, competitive index is, is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I, I think this is it. I think I should be the keynote speaker. <laughs> and Cinnamon goes, no, no, no. You know, on Johnny Carson, they always put the boring guests first and put the exciting people later. And I said, no, 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 it's really great. They said, no, no, you're going first. And I, and I said, well, why? They said, well, because economics is boring and economists are really bad public speakers. <laughs> so I said, okay. And I immediately went and called up my agent and uh, said, you know, what do I do? How do I make this talk interesting and engage these people? She says, well, you need to take off your jacket. And I, so I'll take off my jacket. She says, you need to undo your tie. And I said, okay. And she says, you need to insert yourself in the topic, personalize it, engage the people, give them something they can identify with. So if you give me a minute, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, during COVID, the beginning of COVID, late March, or excuse me, early February, late March, I got a call from my dad. He says, hey, can you come over to the house? I said, sure. Get over there, he says, well, your mom's got a, a tumor in her stomach. And I said, oh. And your, your mother wants you to go to all of the doctor's appointments and so forth with her. And because at that time, only one other person could go in there to the hospitals with the patient. I said, okay. I said, but what about my sister? She's a nurse with about 50 years of experience. And don't you think she'd be better? And they go, oh, no, no. Your sister, you know, she's kind of flaky. And uh, her version of the truth varies with, you know, like the barometric pressure. And I said, okay, I'll go. So we went to all these appointments, finally got to the last one with the oncologist, and then we're sitting there, and then puts up on the screen the sonogram of her pancreas and all this, and all this data, and I could tell what was going on. I knew it was bad. My mom's sitting there really quiet, doesn't say anything. We finish, and I said, come on, Mom, let's, let's step out now. Thank you, doctor. I says, hold on a second, Mom, why don't you go out? I'm going to go back in and ask a question. So I go up there, and I said, well, what's the story, doc? She says, well, she's, she's going to die, and, and she's going to die soon unless she, you know, uh, does chemotherapy and uh, radiation therapy. I said, well, how long will she live? She says, oh, three months to a year, who knows? Depends on the patient. So I walked out, we got in the car, and we were down at Porter Hospital, and we were driving down Downing, coming south, and I'm holding my mom's hand, and my dad's in the back of the car, and he's not saying anything. And she says, well, what's the verdict? And I says, well, you're going to die. And... Uh, I said, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you that, and, you know, I love you. And she says, I love you, too, and that's the reason I had you go is because you tell it as it is. That's what I want to hear. So she says, what are my options? And I told her, well, you could do chemo or uh, radiation therapy, and 
you know, you'll live about another three months to a year, but I don't think you're going to feel very good during the whole thing. She goes, we're not doing that. You make sure that I don't have to go through that. And I said, great. Two weeks later, she passed away at home, and I considered it a success. Well, why do I tell you this? Well, could you go to the next slide, please? Tell you this story. This, this free enterprise competitive index is uh, really a measure of all the vital signs of the free enterprise system here in Colorado. In this case, the free enterprise system is the patient. And what we don't get is good information and, and the vital signs and statistics we need to see how we're doing. And that's what this is designed to do. The free so what's free enterprise? An economic system in which private businesses operate in competition and largely free of government control. Well, we're seeing that we're getting a lot more government control and it's starting to hurt the patient. This is intended to answer two questions. How does Colorado compare to 49 other states in DC with regards to free enterprise competitiveness? And how is Colorado's free enterprise competitiveness trending over time? Next slide. So, as you know, if you've seen our free enterprise report that we uh, put out every year, We've got eight policy areas, housing, public safety, infrastructure, energy, and so on. Well, the way this is designed is within each of these policy areas, there's uh, various metrics. We, we look at things, like, for instance, in housing, uh, the number of permits that we're putting out in relation to the size of the housing deficit. We look at the price of housing and so forth. Next slide, please. So how this is put together is, uh, this is a hypothetical case. Uh, we'll unveil everything of how the patient's doing at the Free Enterprise Summit. In this case, we have four metrics, and you can see some of them are kind of trending up and some are trending down. And what this, and if it's going down, that means the free enterprise system is getting worse. And if it goes up, it means it's improved. So it's very simple and easy for people to understand. Next slide. What we do with those four metrics is we aggregate them together by equally weighting each of the, of the measures. So if there's four measures, we multiply the value of each of those metrics by one-fourth, sum them together, and that's this aggregate measure. So for this hypothetical case, you can see that the line is wiggling around, but it's generally trending down. And what that means is our, in terms of free enterprise, competitiveness relative to 49 other states in DC, we're getting worse. Next subject, or next slide. So across all eight of those policy area aggregate indices, we add those together to create an overall indice. And because we've got all these moving parts, yeah, things may be getting better in terms of housing, they're getting worse in terms of energy, but overall this tells us that Colorado is getting worse in terms of its competitiveness. And that's the way this is set up. And, uh, you know, CSI is, uh, the way I look at it is, in this case I am a doctor who can analyze this patient, provide you the information you need, and CSI is the, the folks that are going to tell you how it is. And any questions? No questions? I'm going to call my agent and tell him I failed. <laughs> All right. Lastly, uh, well, yeah, we got another slide here. The beautiful thing about this, too, is that uh, be, to put this together, I have to do it for all 40, 50 states in D.C., and we can compare visually how we're doing. In this case, hypothetically, you can see Arizona's doing better than we are. Their policies in place that are, are, are making them more competitive in this country, and Colorado's getting worse. Lastly, next slide. Lastly, I can give people like rankings. Colorado's ranked number one. You know, CNBC and People Magazine, Colorado's ranked X. I can give you this ranking for every state of where we are over time. If our ranking continues to go down, that means we're getting worse. And I'll just give you a little heads up. It's, I think the patient is, is a little bit sick. 
and we'll show you in December how it looks, okay? And no questions? All right, thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Hard guy to follow. Good job. Thank you, Dr. Byers. We're excited about this index. And let's face it, guys, this is just common sense. We will now have a number that we can use at the family table or under the golden dome, a number that helps break things down in terms of how are we doing for free enterprise. We could say, hey, our state's competitiveness has decreased, hypothetically, 10% over the last 20 years. How can we work together to improve the state of free enterprise and the Colorado economy? This will help to start and end the conversation centered on data and facts. I think that's just common sense. We all know a huge part of Colorado's competitiveness is our outrageously high housing cost. I am segueing to HH, can you tell? We know that this makes a difference. CSI, just a few weeks ago, Dr. Byers issued a report showing that Colorado ranks number two, it's not a good number two, ranks number two in the nation in some of the most rapidly um, increases in housing unaffordability. And it's the biggest decrease since 2009. And mortgage interest rates have hit 7% in August, the highest in 20 years. Many of us are feeling this. And in addition to growing housing costs, we have some skyrocketing property taxes. As you can see in this image, I know you probably can't see every county here, but they're going up, guys. In Denver, where I live, the average increase has been more than $1,000 for my property tax bill. In Douglas County, we're about to hear from our, the assessor of Douglas County, they have even larger increases, closer to $1,700. This is the cost of an average summer vacation in Colorado. This is a significant impact to households, and I think everyone's thinking about this right now. I'm curious, raise of hands, who is seeing their property taxes increase? Whoa. Okay, another question, I'm just curious. Toby, this is dangerous, but how many people have tried to appeal? Whoa, okay, you guys are go-getters. I'm not surprised by that. So the legislature, and we have a few of you in the room today, tried to address this issue. And that's where Proposition, Proposition HH really comes from. This was a measure that the legislature um, passed in the last few days of the legislative session. It has not been decided yet, though, guys. It's coming to the ballot this November. So I expect all of you are eligible voters in Colorado, so you will have a choice. Proposition HH is the most complex measure and the most important measure that you will vote on this November. And based on CSI's report, if Prop HH passes, we would expect that the average Coloradan would receive a small decrease in your property taxes. But the big takeaway and why I love CSI's work is that we never just go short term. We look long term. And Lang and Chris's report that we'll talk about in a moment on, in the panel shows that there's a cost to that small decrease in your property taxes. The average household will lose $5,100 over 10 years in your Tabor refund for that small decrease in property taxes. Just this summer, 
CSI launched a tool that I know Chris Brown will talk about shortly because we wanted voters to have a place to go. It's called MyPropertyTaxCO.com. I know we'll be talking about it more. And this is where you can put in your address and you can see what is my property tax increase going to be, what will it be under Prop HH if it passes, and what would it look like under another measure that I think has just cleared the signature gathering phase called Prop 50, which would put a 4% cap on property taxes. This was our project this summer. We did a robust analysis. We unveiled this website, and I have to brag in two ways. First, as you can see, Wall Street Journal um, noticed our report and our analysis, and this was um, a huge source of pride, I think, for our team. And they called it the, back, the backdoor tax hike. We didn't give them that title. So that was in the Wall Street Journal just a few weeks ago. And we have over 5,000 people who have visited this website. So if you haven't already gone, Chris will walk you through it. Please um, take a picture of that QR code and be the next visitor to that site. So today, we're going to have a panel conversation with, I think, the four most interesting people who can really help us unpack this hugely complex measure. As I introduce you, just all four of you, if you could make your way um, here to the podium and get your mics on, that would be great. So today we'll unpack what is HH yet. Please, please come on up um, all together. Thank you. We're going to talk about what is HH, but we're also going to talk about what are some of the maybe untold stories. Is there an impact to education? Is there an impact to renters? Is there an impact to employers? And what about local governments? We've been hearing a lot about the impact to property um, owners. So that's the discussion that we hope to have today. I am going to briefly introduce our four panelists, and then I'm going to join them here on the stage, and we'll have this conversation. Please just raise your hand as I introduce you, for those who don't know you. Um, Chris Brown, I think, is very well known to many of you in the audience, longtime vice president of policy and research for Common Sense Institute and the co-author of our HH analysis, The Taxpayer Dilemma. Thank you, Chris. Lang Sias is the 2023 Mike A. Laprino Free Enterprise Fellow. Lang is the author of The Taxpayer Dilemma, HH analysis, as well as two other reports issued this year on the state of competitiveness here in Colorado. Before joining our team of fellows, he was a state legislator, and he always got things done working across the political aisle. So thank you, Lang, for your continued leadership. We are also joined by Brenda DeConer, who's the president and CEO of Ready Colorado. They are an educa education advocacy organization Brenda is a tremendous leader in leading this organization. She used to work at the Colorado Department of Education as an expert in school accountability, ensuring low-income students had access to the best schools possible in Colorado. And she is a former education fellow at Common Sense Institute. Last but not least, I want to introduce Toby Domish, the assessor of Douglas County. And when HH first passed in the last few days of legislative session, um, I think the last three days of legislative session, when we were all looking in the internet, trying to figure out what in the world this thing was, I, I think I stumbled upon one of Dobie's, Toby's PowerPoints, and I was so grateful for his expertise and his ability to unpack a hugely complicated issue. So I'm thrilled that he could join us today. Can you guys give them a round of applause as I make my way over? All right.
right, everybody mic'd up, ready to go. Hello. Okay. So who am I going to put in the hot seat first? I think Chris Brown. So I'm going to ask Chris. Oh, sure. Can we do a quick mic check? Let's make sure everyone can hear you all. Hello. Oh, we're, we're more. <laughs> Hello. Okay. Good morning. It worked. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Great. Good idea, Chris. So before we launch into the panel, Chris, can you just give a quick two-minute overview of what is Proposition HH and why did you and Lang call it the taxpayer dilemma? Is it really a dilemma? <laughs> Good question. Uh, we have fun with the title, but um, we had other ones too, but uh, that, that was the one you allowed through. Uh, no, so I, you know the, the taxpayer dilemma and the proposition HH. I mean, I think you 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 know showed one of the, the key slides there that property owners across the board, residential, commercial, um, other non-residential property owners face significant tax increases next year as a result of property values going up, and proposition HH offers limited property tax relief, but it comes with pretty significant strings attached is the way, you know, I think I would look at it. On, um, you know, our analysis shows that over the first decade, the Proposition HH would reduce property taxes by about $9.9 .9 billion, but it asks voters to increase the state spending limit, uh, increasing the Tabor spending limit by adding an additional 1% annual uh, compounding uh, ex expansion of the state spending limit, which would increase state taxes by $9.9 .9 billion over the first decade. So the average homeowner, the average homeowner would see about a $4,700, $4,600 reduction in their property taxes and, and pay and see about a $5,119 reduction in their future Tabor refund, thereby increasing their their, their, uh, their state taxes. So that's sort of the first dilemma, I think, that uh, property owners and, and Coloradans face. The second is if HH is not extended past 2032, which is the, it's, you know, the immediate time limit, time limit of the measure, it would, there would be about a 1.3 billion tax increase immediately in 2032 as a result of reverting back to prior rates and there would be about $2.2 billion less going to schools that uh, the legislature would have been spending and would have to make up for by some other measures in the, in the general fund. So the likelihood that this gets extended beyond 2032, I think, is significant. And so the dilemma for taxpayers is providing the legislature with authority to continue the provisions of HH beyond 2032, in which case, the potential tax increase grows to about $42 billion over the, over by 2040, and the property tax relief is about $20 billion. So a lot of numbers, a lot to kind of digest, but I think there's several provisions in here that are, are concerning and I think raise a lot of questions for, for voters. We can get into some of these other questions and issues, issues later. Great. Thank you, Chris. Toby, I'm going to turn to you as the assessor. Isn't it nice to have an assessor with you? I just feel like I've, yeah, I have a lot of questions for you. But let's just start with this. How did we even get here? 
why are property taxes spiking so drastically? Sure. Well, I don't, I don't think we can talk about income. I don't think we can talk about income without talking about because that's where it all starts. I'm sure everyone in the room is aware that at the state of Colorado, we all repealed Gallagher in 2020. Everyone remember that decision? Uh, well, we're, um, that decision's coming home to roost, so to speak. Um, <laughs> that repeal in 2020 really released the residential assessment rates. Gallagher required the residential assessment rate to decrease. Over the course of 38 years, uh, we as homeowners in Colorado benefited from a lower residential assessment rate as our values increased over, the, over that time. And that stopped in 2020. The, that repeal put the hands of the residential assessment rate in uh, the General Assembly. And so now they get to determine that. And uh, what's interesting and difficult to accept is right at that same time, the residential real estate market during COVID, as you all know, was really exploding. We experienced uh, an increase in the residential real estate market across Colorado uh, in that two-year period in which the, the, the property tax study period um, applies, uh, increased uh, as high as any other two-year period in our state's history. And so uh, the, the appraisal date for the 2023 reassessment was June of 2022. And when you look across Colorado, we had increases 20, 30, 40, up to 110% on average for counties throughout. One of the interesting things about the real estate market is it affected every part of the state. And that was really the first time that's ever happened. Uh, Colorado's got an interesting real estate market in that if you compare the mountain counties, the western slope, to the front range, the eastern plains, they always move at different pace because we might have something going on in the oil markets or we might have something going on in the resort markets different than the front range. But in this reappraisal, it was across the board. And so this problem is across the board. And the result of that was assessors performing their reappraisal based on that appraisal date resulted in increases that were, for the most, for most Coloradans, above 25%. In Douglas County, in particular, 95% of our residential properties increased between 30 and 60%, and the average was 48. And uh, I think we can all in the room agree that a property tax system should not result in 40-plus increases in one year. Can we all at least agree with that? And so something had to be done, and uh, I'll just finish by saying I, it looks like Prop HH is somebody's answer to we brought the right assessor. Thank you, Toby. You really are good at breaking down complex issues. Lang, I want to bring you into the mix because we've been talking a lot about homeowners. And you may have seen in our report and on that slide, when we talk about our three big takeaways, we say renters are the biggest losers. That seems harsh. Help me understand, Lang, what do we mean by that? And what did your report mean by that? Sure. I mean, well, first of all, let's understand that, that about... Uh, about a third of Colorado homeowners, which is, uh, or households, excuse me, uh, which is about 768,000 uh, households, are renters. And so in this situation, renters, and I think anybody in here who has been either a renter or a landlord knows that when taxes go up, rents tend to go up, and they're, they tend to be stickier on the way down than they are, than they are on the way up. So the property tax increases get passed along to our renters in the form of higher rents. And the renters, of course, don't enjoy any appreciation in the value of the, of the underlying asset. And at the same time, um, those renters 
get to contribute their share of those Tabor refunds that the state will then retain under this. So they are in a different position than, than the homeowner who at least sees uh, the benefit of some appreciation. And, and it, it, this issue can get a little bit more complex when you look at different ways that Tabor refunds can be, can be distributed. Happy to talk about that in, a, in, a Q, in, a, in response to a question. But the bottom line for us is that renters absolutely pay a higher price as a group than folks who own their homes. Thanks, Lang. I see a lot of education leaders in the room. And Brenda, I think the next question is for you. You know, sometimes I, I wonder, is HH actually an education measure or is it not? And I'm curious to get your general thoughts on this measure in terms of education. Yeah, thanks, Kelly. Oh, sorry. Thanks, Kelly. Uh, this simple answer is yes, it's an education measure, but I think we all know that Prop HH is not simple. So I'll give a little bit of an overview of why it's complicated. Uh, Amendment 23 was passed in 2000, and it requires that spending on education increase each year by inflation. Now, the legislature hasn't necessarily fully complied with that yet, but they're promising to starting next year. And so education funding stands, <laughs> sorry, all due respect to legislators, and Rep Hart's like back there is laughing. Um, <laughs> there's, so education funding will be increasing regardless, or should be, per constitutional amendment. This will dedicate revenue towards the state education fund. Any of that excess revenue that is retained, will, aka your, your table refunds, is supposed to go to the state education fund. Now, that could simply go to that Amendment 23 required increase each year. So if you hear anyone promising that there's going to be extra revenue, new revenue going to schools from Prop HH, I would say take that with a grain of salt, because really, again, education uh, funding should be increasing every year by inflation anyways. And so in effect, what this could be is just a general tax increase, because the legislature would then have general funds freed up that would otherwise be going to this constitutionally required education funding increase. And instead, now they'll have general funds freed up for whatever pet projects or priorities they desire to spend on. Very interesting, Brenda. Thank you. That helps me better understand it in terms of education. I know we're going to go back to education, but I want to bring you, Toby, back in because, again, we're trying to talk about some of the hidden impacts, which you might not be seeing in the headlines. We talked about renters, talked about education. Toby, when this measure was being debated at the Capitol those last two or three days, I kept hearing, oh, this will be great for local governments. They need to have a backfill addressed. And I, I just want to hear from a local government leader Help me understand, how would local governments be impacted if HH passes? Yeah, the, we could talk for 30 minutes about this one, but we don't have that time, do we? But, I'll get, you know, I'll start with this. Um, the backfill concept is interesting just at a high level because assessments across the state are going up 20, 30, 40, 50, 60%, et cetera. What brings on the need for the backfill if assessments are going up in the first place? So just the prime question underneath that um, sort of raises a lot of questions. In Douglas County, the conversation is really about from the perspective of the citizen, and I think that that is what's happening statewide, the homeowner. Our taxes are going up because the values went up. And Prop HH, although it makes a slight reduction in uh, the residential assessment rate, and a slight reduction in the commercial assessment rate, 
uh, and applies a new uh, a small exemption to residential and commercial property. Those actions don't make a lot of headway in compared to the increases that took place. And so with respect to local government, what we're all talking about, what the question is, what are you all doing with this windfall, this so-called windfall? And what governments are figuring out now as they uh, work on their budgets is trying to calculate exactly what that is. It's really murky, and it depends on every single local government special district as to what's happening in their district. And uh, the results vary tremendously from each entity to each entity, whether we're talking about a town, a water district, special, special district, county, uh, whatever. Um, we saw on the chart the Douglas County was at the top of the increase of actual values. And what that's meant for the authorities in Douglas County is uh, not a question about a concern of enough revenue, but how do they balance the question of the increase on taxation versus being able to really manage their budgetary needs. And uh, that goes beyond just a question of math, but it becomes a very, really significant political question. I think that's an example of what's happening across the state of Colorado. The backfill mechanism in HH is really interesting and, and complicated. And some districts benefit from it significantly and over the course of time, and others uh, don't benefit it from, um, from it much at all. And so it really depends from district, uh, from district to district ac across the state of how that backfill helps or doesn't. Toby, I'm just throwing this at you. I'm just curious. Were, were the counties and the cities, those associations, did they, did they want HH to be sent to the ballot? Do you know if this is something they were advocating for? So obviously this is just my opinion. My read is no. That yeah, I mean, my read is no because uh, it implements a great deal of confusion into the budget and revenue and mill levy uh, calculation process. Um, there's some interesting aspects to HH with respect to suggesting a cap on revenue at the local district level. And when the bill came out initially, that was a big part of it. One of the top three headlines is we're going to impose a cap on local government and the revenue. But it's optional. It's completely optional. And frankly, uh, those local governments have that option to do that today anyways. And so there's not a lot of uh, meat to that bone, so to speak, with respect to the cap that's in HH. And so uh, my read on special districts that I've spoken to is that it just depends on that local district and the board members who run it as to what their attitude is about it. Makes sense. All matters are local around here, for sure. Lang, I want to ask you about employers. As CSI's Mike A. Laprino, Free Enterprise Fellow, you have focused so much on our state's competitiveness. How do you think employers are looking at Prop HH? You know, they're always focused on, we're always focused on retaining um, a talented workforce and trying to keep costs reasonable for employees so that they'll stay here and flourish here in Colorado. How do you see it? Oh, well, thanks, thanks for the question and thanks to the Laprino family for making this, this uh, work possible. Um, I would tend to, I, I would like to put it into context of our overall competitiveness because at the end of the day, we don't operate in a vacuum. We are in a competition with 49 other states for uh, businesses and for people to work in those businesses. And a little bit of context, uh, you know, Colorado has been a great place to live and to work and do business for 
uh, decades, and two of the most important reasons for that have been, first of all, a moderate tax environment, and second of all, a very high quality workforce. But that workforce, and what I think a lot of us understand has been called the Colorado paradox, is that that workforce has been imported from other, from other places to a very high degree. Well, recently there have been some real warning signs in terms of our competitiveness, which we have uh, documented in a couple of reports. Um, and some of the, the key points that have emerged from those are, first of all, we have seen over the last couple of years a marked drop-off in our net inward migration to Colorado. Now, two years don't make a trend, but what's interesting is it, it, we are really distinguished from some of our peer competitors, Arizona, Utah, to name a couple, in terms of that migration. So that, if it persists, is a real threat to that, work, to that workforce uh, and to our businesses. Now, we did a couple of reports showing and really queuing off of studies and surveys that were done by the Colorado Chamber and by the Denver Chamber, and we showed that the impact of regulation in the areas of labor and employment and environment have had a dramatic impact on cost of doing business uh, here in Colorado over the last several years. We also recently released a report uh, with almost four dozen bills uh, which impacted civil litigation and the ways in which those shifted costs and will likely shift costs to businesses by either creating, expanding, or modifying civil causes of action. So into this mix, we throw uh, Proposition HH, um, which, if I can be blunt, offers uh, voters sort of a, a Faustian bargain in the sense that we say, uh, you know, look, we will offer you a moderate uh, reduction in the increase in your property taxes, but you will effectively be paying for this with the Tabor refunds that you don't get, and the other thing that you sacrifice is the ability to vote in 2032 on whether or not this continues, because the key point is the legislature gets to unilaterally decide whether this continues. Well, interestingly, and some of the charts that Chris put together really drive this home, the power of compounding of that 1% increase in the Tabor cap really starts to pick up steam right about at that point in 2032 when the legislature gets to vote on that. And as the charts will show, <laughs> that creates, and as Chris described this, that creates a situation where the Tabor cap accelerates dramatically, producing about a net $20 billion tax increase over those, fo those following 10 years. So uh, there's an old saying that, you know, some money's just too expensive to take. And, and I would caution, and I, I imagine a lot of business leaders view it this way, this is something that could really uh, decrease our competitiveness, um, both because it changes that moderate tax environment and because that has a real impact on the number of, of high-quality workers that want to come live and work in Colorado. Thanks, Lang. And I only have two more questions, so get your, your hard questions ready. The harder, the better. This panel can handle it. So, Chris, we were just talking about the competitiveness. Lang referenced that, how HH could impact our competitiveness. But skyrocketing, highly fluctuating property taxes also impact our competitiveness. So if it's not HH, then what? I mean, help, help me understand, help the audience understand, what are some other solutions the legislature could consider um, next year to address this? <laughs> uh, 
interesting question. To say that possibilities are endless, I think, uh, maybe doesn't fully capture it. But I think there's a lot of options, frankly, that uh, would be on the table. For the last two years, the legislature has decreased assessment rates temporarily. So they, they, the main provisions in HH which reduce assessment rates are something the legislature can do uh, without going to, to voters. Um, there's another measure, I think as you indicated earlier, that has been filed. I think collective signatures may be on the ballot next year, Initiative 50, which is offering uh, a, a different solution. I think that, it, you know, I, I, I think that whether HH passes or not, there will still be a large discussion around property tax going forward because even if HH passes, we are in the same position we're in today where we do not have any mechanism in our property tax formula that will reduce property taxes for uh, residential commercial own property owners in the future if we see prices spike again. So we, we, we simply reduce rates and we now fix them at a lower amount. Two, three years, go through the next assessment cycle, hopefully be a little bit kinder than us to, than the last one, but four years down the road, six years down the road, we'll be in the same position we are now seeing 20, 30 percent uh, value increases. So I think there still has to be a very uh, sober and clear conversation about a long-term fix to replace the mechanisms in Gallagher that had other offsetting negative effects, um, which is why voters repealed it, I think. But there was a promise that something would, would be put in its place a as a, a long-term solution. I think we still have to see, uh, have yet to see what that will be. So I think the options are, 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 are um, to find a way to moderate tax rate growth when, so that property taxes are not fluctuating at the same rate as property value. I think that's the ultimate goal, giving flexibility to local governments to control their mills and control their taxes um, at the rates they need. But I think there's more flexibility in the system and more certainty for taxpayers. Toby, Lang, Brenda, would, would you all add anything else in terms of what else could be done other than HH? Uh, yeah, I would add that uh, HH doesn't really move the needle in terms of addressing the problem that happened in the free appraisal. That's the bottom line. When we talk to citizens in Douglas County and really throughout the state, they say, what does HH do for me? We can get out a calculator and show them. So, okay, your increase went up 40%. Now it's going to be 35 if HH passes. When they get the tax, but this conversation is nowhere close to being over, whether HH passes or not. Because tax bills will go out on or, or, on or around February 1, and there's going to be a sticker shock. Everyone in the state who ignored the assessor's notice of value on May 1 of this year are going to get a slap in the face, I'll tell you, on February 1 when those bills arrive. And uh, that's going to restart the conversation. And it's interesting, I thought this year was an opportunity uh, for politicians to take advantage of a potential crisis and step in and be saviors, if you will, about it. And that hasn't happened. So um, we could see, as uh, Chris mentioned, uh, the citizens uh, sort of implement a pendulum swing and really go after the exact opposite of what HH does, and that is a lockdown of government. And if you look at Initiative 50, that is a real strict limit on revenue growth, the potential ballot measure next year. And uh, it's going to be interesting to watch this because this story's not over. Tax bills are going to go up across the state. 
and we'll be talking about it, whether HH passes or not. We always want like a one and done conversation, but thank you, Toby. That's good to know. This is continuing, guys. So yeah, <laughs> stay tuned for sure. Brenda, I, I want to get back to you. I'm the mom of two small kids. Education matters a lot to me. So I want to talk again, you know, if, the, if HH passes, if the state budget increases, either way, more money is going to education. And I just want to understand, would there be strings attached to that money if, it, if HH passes? Uh, Kelly, I think, you know, so the Common Sense Institute report analysis projects around $9 billion going to K-12 education over the next decade, which, again, as I mentioned earlier, could simply be money that was supposed to go to education anyways. But regardless, that money, it does not have any strings attached. There's no guarantee it's going to cover, you know, teacher salary increases, going to classroom instruction. Um, and it's also going to get funneled through a funding formula that, to be frank, is quite illogical and inequitable and outdated. And you can read more about that in the dollars and data report that Commons Institute also puts out. But it's, you know, it's a formula that I'll, I like to use a simple example of uh, give more money to Aspen and less money to Pueblo City, which, again, not, not quite logical. And so there's been lots of efforts for the last decade to revise this funding formula to make it more student-centered, and, uh, and more equitable, which both sides of the aisle you know, see that as a, as a noble goal, but there, can't, there seems to not be the political will to be able to actually get that done. And so this $9 billion set to go to K-12 education will continue to get funneled through a funding formula that doesn't have strings attached, doesn't necessarily guarantee your, teacher, your, you know, your student's teacher is going to get paid more. And on that note, it also does not guarantee there's more money going to your school. I think at least with local property taxes, you know that your local property taxes are going to your schools. With the state funding formula, that's going through, you know, it's being redistributed across the state. Again, through a funding formula, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So again, I, would, I do think it's an education measure just simply because it's this dedicated revenue that would result in $9 billion going to K-12 education. But I would caution you to think about what, that that's the, whether that's the right way to do this. If we need a dedicated revenue stream for K-12 education, Let's have a separate conversation about that in a separate ballot initiative and not put it in something like Prop 8, which is supposed to be a property tax cut. So my last question, I just want each person in a few sentences and, you know, maybe we'll have Lang start. Just if there's just one other, you know, any lasting remarks on, you know, if you'd like to leave um, the audience with just one more um, factoid about HH, and then we'll open it up to questions. Lang, we'll start with you, just in a few sentences. Uh, well, sure, I will, you know, I've had the privilege of working with Brenda on education issues in the, in the past. Um, you know, again, looking at this through the, through the lens of our, of our competitiveness, um, if, there, if we are going to put more dollars into education via this measure, which allegedly is property tax, but is, is something more than that. Um, then the having the guardrails to see that that money is actually spent um, on improving student outcomes is hugely important, um, certainly to me and I think to business leaders in, in the state, because we'd like to grow our workforce organically rather than having to, to import it. Um, but doing this without guardrails to make sure that we produce uh, better student outcomes I think is, uh, is pretty irresponsible. Well, I'll just take a second and pitch uh, the hard work we did, the team did, to, you know, not just produce a report, but also launch the website, mypropertytaxco.com. Encourage you all to go take a look. 
It is uh, backed by publicly available data. It was a painstaking process from several interns and some of our team to go and ask every county assessor. And uh, Douglas County, I have to say on the spot, is actually far more accessible, I think, to get some of the data than others. But it was a massive effort to get uh, some of the tax records we needed in order to do the calculations to give voters a resource so they could see exactly how their property will be impacted, their home will be impacted under HH, under current law, and compare that to give them a sense of how they would be impacted uh, around the table provisions as well, whether you file as an individual or file jointly. So this is, these are the results. You can see on the screen the results of the website after we've asked you simply for your address. We do ask you for an email. Uh, whether you file jointly or not, and whether you own or rent your, your home. And then we sort of you know, display this information. We'll send you an email if you ask for it to give you a little bit more background as well. But this is, a, I think, a huge uh, you know, success for us and a great tool that I, I would encourage you all to, to use and share so that people can understand exactly how this measure will impact you. Yeah, I think I give you guys the highlights on education. I would, I would just say that, you know, add on that, we're ready Colorado, we are opposed to Prop HH. Uh, the Teachers Union, the Colorado Education Association is one of the biggest donors to the Yes on Prop HH campaign. And as you may recall, they recently passed a resolution saying that they are anti-capitalism. So just would leave that for future thought. Last word, Toby, before we open it up. Uh, I love open-ending questions because I get to say what I think. Um, my hope is HH fails badly, and it sends a message to the politicians in the state that we need real property tax relief because that's my line. I we we tip we've had our average residential appeal rate is three thousand homeowners appealing a year, and we had over thirty thousand this year, and that's not because my office didn't do our job; it's because my office did do our job, and that is the same story across the state. Um, Homeowners in the state of Colorado are, are facing record increases in homeowners insurance. We all know this in the room, right? Interest rates, principal. We think about the PITI mortgage that, we, that most of us pay, and now we're going to stack taxes on top of it, along with all of everything else in the inflationary environment. It's, it, this is a very serious situation. We need a different result. Thank you for CSI for all the work that you guys did. This is fantastic. And those numbers are accurate. In this example, I think I see $200 difference uh, for a property tax payment if HH passes. Well, if you're paying, if you're if you're if you're paying $2,000 now and you're going to $3,000 and your bill next year is $2,800, the person receiving that bill is not going to notice that. HH isn't even going to be thought of as an answer. So, my thank you, Toby. Cree in the back has a microphone. Please. Raise your hand, a very quick announcement of who you are, and then ask your question. Thanks, good morning. Anthony Hartsick, uh, State Representative, House District 44. Thanks, Toby, from Sound in Douglas County. So first of all, I wanna thank CSI. There's a lot of the information, the data that they produce, we use up at the Capitol. We argue with it, our side often loses, but we still argue with it, so thanks for the information. Two, question from the panel, this is more than just an HH issue. I would like to know your thoughts on a broader scope of things that impact this. And I will preface this with, look at Proposition 213, or not Proposition, uh, House Bill 213 that was defeated. 
basically state wanting to take control from local government. Construction defects law, which is also driving up housing costs. Education, this is a massive shell game. If you take all of these things and look into issue of Proposition HH, what are your thoughts of where this is going and what do you think is, is kind of the ultimate go? Thanks. Lang, do you want to take it? As a former legislator? Sure. I, I, you know, I think, I think you, you're seeing some, some trends that have gathered steam over the, over the last several years where you're seeing increasing costs uh, that are being passed on to, to businesses, increasing costs on businesses, which as I think we all understand, ultimately get passed along. You know, they're, they're going to be reflected in reduced margin, downward pressure on wages, and upward pressure on prices in some way. They're going to cascade through the economy. And so I think if there's a common theme here, um, whether it's through the, the increased regulation or it is through uh, the shifting of costs in the civil litigation world or, or it is in measure, measures like this, um, you are seeing um, uh, taxpayers and businesses directly or indirectly paying more and it is impacting and eroding Colorado's overall competitiveness. And, and a lot of these things, you know, we try to see them as canaries in the coal mine rather than see the impacts of them later on because once people have voted with their feet, uh, a, a lot of the important changes have already taken place. So I do think there's some, there's some real warning signs here and this is a part of it. Does that, answer, does that address your question? That's the over, overarching theme for me. Thanks, Lang. Creed, do we have another question? Uh, hello, uh, Colin Larson. Uh, recovering politician, uh, but with the uh, <laughs> currently the government affairs director for the Car Restaurant Association. Uh, I have a question about a more arcane part of HH. It's my understanding <clears throat> that it creates a really complicated uh, change in the tax treatment of second homes, and this is more directed toward the assessor. When I was reading about the legislation as it was moving forward, I was just, in all honesty, very curious how the hell is an assessor going to determine? if a home is a primary residence or a secondary residence, and what happens if I have a vacation home, sell it, it becomes a, private, a primary residence. Has the assessor's office even gone down the path as to how they would try to deal with that vacation rental component um, for tax treatment? Because that just seems incredibly complicated. I don't know how the heck you guys are going to handle that in your offices. Yeah, neither do we. It isn't. <laughs> It is incredibly complicated, and what he's referring to is, you know, this bill is, what, 48 pages, 58 pages, something like that? It's a, there's a lot there. It's an incredibly complicated measure, and one of the things it does is change the, the tax structure for non-owner-occupied properties, and uh, my view of that, it's a target on uh, vacation homes and iBuyer-owned properties, rental properties, and uh, so without getting into the right or wrong of that, to your question, the assessor will be required to uh, essentially take in applications from every homeowner in their jurisdiction. That's 126,000 in Douglas County. And I gotta find a way to figure out who lives in their house and who doesn't somehow. And that's gonna require an application which will include giving us social security numbers. I don't think there's an assessor in the state who's looking forward to this piece of it. Uh, the first estimate we did in our office is we've got to increase our staff by 75% to make that happen. 
uh, it's going to be an incredible burden on local government. So what we're hoping for is that state government uh, be part of that solution, may create a statewide solution if this in fact happens, and uh, help make that easy for citizens, for local governments, for the state, and really create a statewide solution there. I don't hold my breath that that's going to happen. So there's a lot of drama and pain left to go through with that. But uh, if HH passes, I think you could expect the treatment of non-owner-occupied non properties from a tax rate point of view, assessment rate, to change, not just in two years from now, but in the future dramatically. I think there's a, a lot of individuals interested in taxing those properties at the commercial rate. And that might be in our future if this happens. Great question, Colin. We got some more questions right here. Cree is on her way. And again, please just introduce yourself briefly. Thank you. All right. Hi, everybody. Uh, Richard Holt, uh, Mayor Pro Tem Centennial. Um, you know, I, I've been fortunate to attend a couple of these things. Uh, so I've been able to gather information, at least understand it. Uh, but when I, I take it to my neighbors and I actually talk to them saying, hey, this, this is really happening. This is really a thing. And pretty much to a person, they kind of look at me and go, you've got to be kidding me. And so my question to you is, you know, how do we make this issue, for lack of a better term, accessible to the good people that are out there that are not in this room? Sounds like the mission of Common Sense Institute. Chris, you want to take it? It does. Are you saying uh, I wouldn't be a hit knocking on doors telling people $9 billion <laughs> tax increase with the $9 billion? No, I think that is a challenge when, you know, it's, it's, it's perpetually a challenge. You know, this is our, one of our attempts, I think, to get the information out and you know, use this website as a tool. I think those resources, I think people, when they see the numbers, will understand. I think there's other groups that are, are out there talking about it a lot. You know, we've, we have our own strategy, but um, I think that there are a lot of people that are starting to get this message. Thank you for that. We completely agree. And please send this information to your networks. That will really help us. And give them those three bottom lines. Short-term pain for short-term gain for long-term pain. Renters are the biggest losers, and a household will lose fifty-one hundred dollars over ten years. This is our last question. Hi Frida, how's it going? <laughs> oh, Cree's on her way. <laughs> oh, yeah, this will be our last question, but please stay longer and ask the panelists additional questions after Frida. We will have Buzz Coble close us out after this question. As you said in the beginning, this whole mess started with a series of unfortunate events. Gallagher, you know, kept our 
residential taxes, some would say artificially low for a very long time, it, 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 that bill was, was going to come due at some point. And it happened right when property values went up really high for the specific period covered by the latest assessment. Unfortunate, terribly unfortunate. So all of our taxes are going up and it's, it, even though with all the complications of HH, and I think the, the biggest problem is in the complications, if it fails, our taxes are going to go up more right away. So my question is, I'm just wondering, this is for our assessor, if this bill were simpler, if it simply lowered the assessed value and lowered the rates and didn't have all the other complications like trying to figure out what is a second home and which ones are rented out and all of that, would you be in favor of it? Me as assessor, would I be in favor of it? Yeah. Yeah, I think I and many other people were arguing that that's what it should have occurred this year. A simple property tax solution that addressed this crisis because that's what it is. It's not a crisis of government or even of education or state government. It's a crisis for homeowners because no one should receive a 30% increase in their property tax bill in one year. That is completely contrary to the concept of a, of a reliable property tax system. And so, yes, if you took out all this others, by the way, we all know it's only on the ballot because it's a tax increase, right? I mean, they didn't need to put an assessment rate decrease on the ballot. They could have done that very easily in the General Assembly, uh, but they chose not to. So, absolutely. Please give a round of applause for this very impressive panel. I am now going to ask the chairman of CSI's board, Buzz Coble, to close us out. Thank you so much, Buzz. My head hurts. <laughs> um, wow. A couple of things I'd like to just share with you. Uh, first of all, um, once again, I would like to thank Earl Wright for creating this gem of a place to have events. So, um, but second of all, I would also say that it was Earl Wright's idea to create the Common Sense Institute, and I was honored to join with him probably 12 years ago um, because there was clearly the need for factual information dynamic modeling that can inform the public as to how policy may affect their everyday life. And there was, there was a huge void in that. And we think that we know there's a void in the ability to find factual information to hopefully um, make some, some difference. Well, when we got started 12 years ago, there was, um, really no full-time employees. Chris Brown came on six and a half years ago as the first full-time employee. We now have nine full-time employees, but it's also evolved for the need to adapt to the problems that are out there. 
And over time, we knew that we needed some very, very informed people beyond what we could hire to help us uh, create the information to inform the public. And that evolved into a fellows program, thanks to a lot of very generous donors, um, to help us with that. And we now have, as you saw, 13 fellows. Um, but when you get to, to this level with nine full-time employees and 13 fellows, it becomes a far larger undertaking and a far larger financial undertaking uh, than what any of us ever envisioned. But I can tell you, those of us that have been involved and watched this, we take enormous pride in how this organization has evolved. And I would tell you two things, or I could relate a hundred things, but <clears throat> let me just use HH. HH is a classic example of what I would call a Gordian knot combined with a 3D spider web of what happens when, when the legislature and ballot issues and people think they're trying to do the right thing, but this is the most complicated thing I have ever seen. And I live in the real estate business and I live with property taxes and analyzing this. The second thing about HH is it's a shining example of what great work Common Sense Institute does. If you heard this today, if you look at what we've put out, if you look at the calculator that we've allowed every single individual in the state to determine what his own personal impact is gonna be, this is like nothing else that is happening anywhere in the country, but it just, it proves and highlights how needed this organization is to inform the public and the politicians and, and the business community that there is a connection between policy and their individual life. There's a connection between policy and how it's affecting their business. And there's a connection between policy, as you saw, on the issue of competitiveness of Colorado in the country. And when you see how we have deteriorated it's, it's because of policy. If you saw up there where Florida was, Florida was 32nd. They're now number eight. That is also happens to be because of policy. So um, these are the kind of things that if we want to have the kind of Colorado that I grew up in, that's a wonderful place to do business, it's a wonderful place to raise your kids, it's a wonderful place to enjoy, something nobody else has, the wonders of outdoor Colorado. We have the greatest combination here of what can happen if we don't screw it up through policy. And so I can just tell you that having been involved in this since the beginning, um, uh, this organization has continued to grow because the recognized need of the information and what we can provide to that entire broad-based community. Um, but we can't do it without financial support. And we hope you recognize by the kind of morning that we had here today and the information. Stay go to the website, see all the various things that we do produce. Um, this is how we're gonna help protect our state and inform the public about how policy is affecting everything 
in our lives. So um, we have grown in response to the need. We hope you recognize that and we hope you take it to heart and help support us financially because uh, there's no other organization doing what we're doing. And if you look at our mission here and what we say, our job is to help the jobs and the economy of our state and that's what we're doing. And thank you all for taking time out of your very busy schedule to come and, and check this out today. Stay tuned with us, keep coming to these great sessions and uh, pass the word if you have been impacted by what you heard today about Proposition HH. Thank you all very much for your time. And please buy a ticket to the summit so you can learn more. Please join us there. Thank you, everyone.